Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hey, I hope everybody's doing great today. I want to talk about people with frontal temporal degeneration today. And the reason I want to bring up a subject about them today is because I have several clients who are having trouble with bathing, communicating, judgment and reasoning, and so forth with their person with FTD. That's the acronym around it, frontal temporal degeneration. And it's a difficult disease because if you have the behavioral variant, you have no memory loss whatsoever, but you have trouble understanding why you need to do something and they can get very abstinent that they do not want to do whatever it is you're asking them to do. Uh, They may not want to give up driving. They may not want to shower. They may dress strangely. Um, They just kind of live in a universe on their own where they are the only person that is important. And it appears to be very narcissistic with these folks when you're trying to work with them. And so, you know, it's just really, really difficult for family members no matter if it's the behavioral variant or if it's the primary progressive aphasia, meaning they have trouble with words and language and being able to communicate what they need or want at various times, or the motor aspect of it that looks a lot like Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, where the person uh, becomes uh, immobile, they're non-ambulatory, at a certain point in the disease process, usually pretty quickly, and they um, struggle with being able to keep their balance and so forth. No matter what it is, uh, what of these three realms it actually is, it can be really, really tough fostering the personal care for this person. And you have to come up with ways to be really, really resilient because they're not going to make it easy for you. (laughs) It's as simple as that. And I have caregivers who just shake their head and, oh, get me off this ride. This is horrible, right? And it it is. It's tough. It's really, really tough. So I, I want to give you a couple of examples on ways to get that personal care done every day and talk about why it's kind of hard, okay? Because for... For individuals with a progressive neurodegenerative disease such as FTD um, and and others, the ability to maintain their maximum independence in the everyday activities that they, they do, meaning their personal care such as hygiene and dressing or um, giving other people the ability to provide that care, it becomes of paramount, and I do mean paramount importance, that you can somehow get to a place where you can get these tasks done throughout the week, or your life will become pretty much a living hell, and you don't want that to happen, okay? So improvements in um, self-care tasks, we're not expecting. We're not going to see that they can do things on their own better. In fact, we're going to see that oftentimes uh, the cognitive impairment, the ability to understand why they need to do it and what exactly they need to do to complete the activity uh, becomes so impaired and so skewed that they just can't do it, okay? And when that happens, you're going to have to change the environment to hopefully promote some independence for them, but also some relief for you as their care partner. And you have to really focus on assisting that individual by doing the personal care tasks with them instead of for them. They won't let you do it for them. They just won't. You're going you're gonna to get pushback. You're going to get a lot of resistance. And if you can do it with the person, 
you're going to keep their remaining skills pretty sharp and prevent over-independence on you as their caregiver, okay? So another area that we're going to discuss today is uh, personal safety with that person. Many, many people can muddle through the day with FTD, and they can keep themselves relatively safe and clean and cared for. But sometimes in the process, we will see that the safe manner in which they are are doing things is lost. And it's due to the disease itself. It's due to sensory changes and to impulsive behavior and not wanting Um, anybody to tell them what to do or how to do it. And these things become really difficult. So you have to come up with strategies for maintaining a safe environment uh, for personal care. And that's what I want to discuss today. How are we going to do this? So I want to break it down into a couple of different areas so it's easy for you to understand this incredibly difficult and cumbersome disease. So what factors would affect a person and their ability to participate in personal care? Well, they could have psychosocial or emotional factors. The temporal lobe is the T of the FTD, and it contains the ability for you to handle your emotions, for reading and writing skills, for understanding what objects are. Um, It has a lot to do with that person's uh, mood and um, daily demeanor. So those can be really, really difficult. So under the emotional factors, uh, they could have a, a disinhibition of, you know, whatever the social norms are. They don't care what others think, right? They don't. Um, it could be depression. They have poor motivation to engage in any of the activities you want them to get into. They could have a fear of falling, during personal care activities because they can lose their balance and have a kind of impairment in their equilibrium that makes them feel like they're not solid when they're moving around. And paranoia, embarrassment, or just flat out being angry that you're asking them to do something they don't want to do. Those are all issues, right? And when you're trying to get them to take a shower or get ready for an appointment, they could become difficult to talk to and to communicate with for those reasons. Like I said, they could be depressed. They could be paranoid. They could be embarrassed about it. Uh, They don't want anybody to know that they're having this problem. So why are we going to a doctor? You're going to just announce it to the world now. These are the ways that they look at it. Some of the other issues that they have are the cognitive factors, right? Like they have a super limited attention span. It's one of the symptoms that comes up with FTD almost always. And that person is unable to remember to complete all the stages of any various activity. So if you start doing something with them and then they get sidetracked or they want to quit, they could walk away with a half-shaved face. Not good, right? They could have decreased awareness of environmental cues, like they don't notice the toothbrush in the bathroom or they forget to brush their teeth before bed, things like that. Um, They have difficulty following complex verbal directions. So as an example, I had someone tell me today, a client tell me today, that um, she asked her husband to just open some cans of beans that she wanted to put into a dish she was making, a chili, and he kept trying to bring in other things like, should I do something protective so uh, it doesn't get bugs in it, or um, or I don't want to open all these because you may not need them right now. And she kept saying, just open them. For you. you wanted to help me. Please just open them. And they went round and round with all these coping skills that this that this person with FTD was having, um, making issues that weren't there. So that can be really tough, right? Um, and that goes to sequencing 
difficulty sequencing. They can't figure out which item to put on first in terms of, you know, a shirt or pants or underwear. They might put on pants first and underwear second. And then there are perceptual deficits. Um, Like if you ask them to put their right arm in the sleeve, they might put their left arm, try to put their left arm in the sleeve. So these are some of the issues that you have. Now, sensory factors, what what, what could possibly go wrong there, right? They don't respond to internal cues. Um, you know, they they maybe be hungry. They could be thirsty. And that's distracting them from what you're trying to get them to do. There could be background noises, music, TV playing. So you can't get their attention. And if you touch them, they feel like that's threatening. So from a sensory level... There are people in general that just don't want you to come up and touch them. You, you should never just go up and touch somebody. <laughs> My husband tells me that all the time because they might think you're trying to hurt them or something, especially if that person has been in the military and has PTSD. So moving on, the last one, what are the physical factors that you're having trouble with? Are they unable to plan body movements like putting their leg in, in, the, in the pants that they're going to wear? Do they have balance or mobility issues, um, difficult, difficulty standing or sitting without support? Maybe they need something on either side of them to keep them from, you know, toppling over. Um, decreased coordination. Are they having trouble zipping that zipper or buttoning the buttons and it's embarrassing for them? And do they have a lack of endurance or strength? from not using their muscles? Are they too tired uh, to assist or to have you work with them? So talking about those four levels, the psychosocial, emotional factors, the cognitive factors, the sensory factors, and the physical factors, what do we do? What do we do? So here's the strategies I'm going to give you today for working with a person with FTD who is exhibiting this type of rebuttal. They are just refusing care. They're not working well with you. And you're trying to figure out what you can do to make it easier for both of you. Well, the first thing is timing. Know when that person is best able to assist you with their care. Um, Showers or bath might be more successful in the evening as opposed to the morning or vice versa. Whether or not they are used to doing it in the morning or they're used to doing it in the evening, if you're in a care community, that could change. Maybe when you were at home, you always took a shower in the morning, but now you like taking showers in the evening because it just feels more comfortable for you and it helps you to sleep a little bit better. So knowing the timing that that person needs you to work around could help you to be successful. So think about that. How about consistency? I have talked and talked and talked about routines and how important routines are, right? So a family caregiver following a set routine is probably going to be more successful than somebody who just does things at random times. If you can get a routine going and you can be consistent, it will help you enormously when you're trying to assist somebody with these personal tasks. Now, Next thing is focus on abilities and involve that person in assisting as much as possible. And when they are helping you, praise them for attempting to help you, even if you're not successful. Thank you for trying. That was really good. Um, That's that's right. That's your left arm. You know, uh, thank you for helping me to get you dressed today. Use some positive affirmations that can help you when that person is trying to assist you. And use cueing skills. Give one-step directions. Wash your face. You know, hand them the the washcloth. Uh, Brush your teeth. Hand them the toothpaste and the toothbrush. Don't assume they know how to do it on their own or that they will recognize objects. Because as I was telling you, a minute ago, the temporal lobe tells them what that object is. The right side of the brain, the parietal lobe, will help them name it. But the problem with FTD is 
mostly the frontal and temporal lobes, so they may not recognize an object. Therefore, you have to tell them what it is and hand it to them if you want them to be successful, okay? Try to limit any distraction that you have. Um, and if you need to, because they're struggling, you could do something like singing, um, pointing out what food is, holding an item so that they can see it. And if they become upset during this activity, um, do whatever you can to prevent the person from becoming agitated. Add as much narrative as you need to, but maybe keep other sensory objects off, like too many lights. Maybe it's too bright or uh, there's a TV on or something. They can be easily distracted in a, a short attention span. So keeping it to whatever you're doing will work. But if you need to sing a song to make the the event a little easier or more delightful for the person, go ahead. And anything helps, you know, <laughs> anything helps. Also, mirroring. You can um, show them, all right, here's the toothbrush, and you put the toothpaste on it, and you show them. That's mirroring what you want them to do. And then you can say, can you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, just as you've just done. You could mirror brushing your teeth up and down and sideways on the on the top and then have them follow your lead and try to do it as you have done it. Uh, not only with toothbrushing, but combing hair, with cutting food, uh, with showing them how to put a shirt on. You might first say, this is my right arm and I'm gonna put it in the sleeve just like this. Can you follow me and do this? Mirroring is a really good technique to help that person understand through sight what you're trying to do. So the cueing skills, I should have told you, are visual, verbal, and tactile, meaning visual, they actually see you doing it, verbal, you're telling them what the items are, and tactile, they handle the items themselves and put their hands on them. All right, now, the one other thing you can do is what we call chaining, where the caregiver will initiate the activity and then the individual will complete the task, such as buttoning a shirt or uh, washing an arm or leg in the shower or shaving with an electric razor or something like that. If you can sort of uh, hook these things together and you've done one button, now you've done the next button, or you're washing an arm in the shower and then you go to wash that leg in the shower, trying to add onto it by chaining. So they do one thing, then they do the next, and you keep the process going. The reason we do that is because their ability to follow a sequence from A to Z is very, very skewed, and we need to be able to help them with that. And I'm telling you, when you are living with somebody with FTD and they just don't want to do something, it can be really, really difficult. So you need to try these things I just said. So just to recap, you want to make sure you have the right timing, okay? You know when that person is best able to complete that, that activity. You need consistency. Get a routine if you can. Always do that shower at 7.30 in the morning or 7 p.m. at night, whatever it is, but stay with it. Focus on the ability themselves on itself and their ability to complete any part of it and give them great kudos when they do it. Use the cueing skills I just told you about, the verbal, visual, and tactile. And then um, if you can, uh, use distractions or limit distractions to benefit you however it works. Sometimes you need them, sometimes you don't. Mirror by showing them what to do and then having them follow your lead and then chaining, continue to add one thing on to the next thing so that you can get from A to Z by working with them, not by leaving them to their own devices. All right, so I want to get deep into the ADLs today for a person with FTD because it's so hard. So we're going to talk about hygiene with grooming, toileting, and bathing. And 
It's important because the ability to maintain body cleanliness seriously is complicated (laughs) beyond belief when somebody has FTD. Um, They can sort of explode when they go to the restroom uh, with body waste. That can be important for their health and their social acceptance if they're at a party or if you're out in public somewhere and they don't know to clean up after themselves and then you've got that smell. Um, you You could seriously have cultural norms that help you with understanding hygiene. Like back in the day, people would only take a bath or a shower once a week. And it was because they didn't get very dirty and they would shower or bathe on sun, on Saturday night to go to church on Sunday. <laughs> so when you're working with somebody who's older and they don't want to uh, take a shower or a bath very often, it could be because they just didn't do that very often. That's okay unless that person is having problems with odor, infection, disease, and they may not recognize the need for maintaining that good hygiene because they're just not focused on it. They're just, it's almost like having a an attention deficit disorder. If they're not thinking of it at the time, they're not thinking of it at all. And for everybody else, it could be an emotional factor. It could make them angry. It could make them embarrassed. It could make them upset. So you as caregivers, you know, we feel this way. We get upset when that person has has maybe um, gone number two and has it on their pants or something, or they didn't wipe well and they have it on their fingers and they didn't wash after they went to the bathroom. So trying to foster the need to wash your hands and wipe good sounds like an elementary thing. But if you have to go into a family bathroom with that person to make sure that when you go back out into a restaurant, they are clean, you're going to have to do that. These are things that come with caregiving for a person with FTD. And it's terrible. It is what it is. But like I said, today is all about trying to really make yourself aware when you have a person that has decreased cognitive skills. That sounds difficult just in the concept. (laughs) It really does. So those are things to think about, okay? Now, grooming itself includes tasks that we perform every single day just so we can show that we have the appearance of being healthy, right? And these include brushing your teeth, Denture care, shaving, hair care, nail care, eye care, eyeglasses if you need it, hearing aids, um, cleaning your ears out. You want to be careful with a person with FTD that they don't put like a Q-tip really deep in their in their ear because that can cause um, intersensory hearing loss. But you still have to make sure that their ears are clean. Um, applying deodorant, powders, lotions. Uh, cosmetics if it's a female. Well, cosmetics if it's a male too. (laughs) Who knows, right? Um, So in the early stages of FTD, strategies have to be variable and visual and put in locations where that person is going to see the object and then therefore start and complete the task. So as an example, you could make sure that if you're going to help them after they get out of the shower with putting on deodorant, with putting on makeup, with putting, with brushing their teeth and brushing their hair, you may have to lay those objects out, a brush or a comb, a toothbrush and toothpaste, the deodorant, um, the makeup. Uh, you might have to put that on the counter so that they can see it. And sometimes just having a monthly checklist or a daily checklist of the things that you need to put on and they could check it off as they finish these tasks might be helpful. So, you know, you think, well, my God, why would I have to do all that? It helps that person to have order and organization when they're trying to to get ready in the morning. Their short attention span makes it so that that person just doesn't 
focused. They don't stay focused and they don't pay attention to the things that they need. Um, nobody wants to talk to somebody with bad breath or yellow teeth. Nobody wants to talk to somebody who smells bad on a hundred degree day when that person didn't put on deodorant. So if you leave it to their own devices to get ready in the morning or whenever they are, uh, showering and, and, and getting prepared, then they're going to suffer in the success area. We're going to take a short break and I'll be right back with more cueing skills. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one -on -one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, I'm talking about working with an individual who has frontal temporal degeneration and how you successfully help them with their activities of daily living, their hygiene, health, and grooming skills daily. Because in the early stages, as I was just explaining before we went to break, that person um, needs the visuals. They need maybe a list of things that say, okay, today you need to shave, take a shower, put on your deodorant, and they check it off, right? Simple as that, so that they follow it. But in the later stages, you have to do the mirroring I was talking about earlier, where you show them how you brush your teeth. You show them how to put their arm into a sleeve. And these things are important because it's an effective strategy when you need to put multiple activities together, like putting on a shirt, putting on your underwear and your pants and socks and shoes and so forth, because they're more than likely not going to be able to do that on their own. And they need you to give them those verbal, visual, and tactile cueing skills to help them be prepared, right? And you as the caregiver, you have to assist them. You have to guide them through it because their ability to sequence from A to Z is just not there. The cognitive impairment is going to be really intense and difficult. And too many visible items can cause confusion for them. So you want to keep uh, at that point in the late stages the, the visual items that you would have had sitting out on the countertop in the early stages, now you only want one at a time sitting there. It makes a big, big difference, right? So once you have to kind of jump in and help them to complete whatever steps of the grooming task that, that you can, you have to give them a feeling of accomplishment. You have to say to them that they did well, that, that, you really think that they were listening to what you said, that you appreciate them trying because the emotional piece can go away. They can become very apathetic and not care one bit about anything you say. So for you to be able to try to maintain that level of intimacy and reaction 
to what you're trying to do, the longer you can keep that going, the better. Because I'm telling you, that is one of the things that goes away pretty quickly for a person that has FTD. They become very apathetic to anything you say or do or anything that that you care about. They honestly couldn't care less. So when we get to the issues of like going to the bathroom, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I have had people tell me that they will not wipe their husband's butt. They won't do it. They just absolutely will not do it. But that person needs help. They can't release their body functions and be able to uh, take care of everything before they get off the toilet. If you can't do that, you're going to have to have a caregiver come in. It's not as easy in that way to do the mirroring steps that I talked about earlier. And they may not understand what they need to do. This is when that scope of care becomes so difficult that you just don't know what to do anymore and you don't know how to do it. But if you decide that you will, if you love that person enough and you'll help them, you're going to have to have clothing management. You're going to have to have an extra set of underwear there. You may have to have a a washcloth there and a towel that you can help wash them and dry them when they get up from going to the bathroom. Um, You might have to manage uh, their continence needs, like um, if they have a catheter or a colostomy, um, because those are attached to the body and you may have to uh, know how to clean those daily um, and not put them down someplace where they could contact bacteria. Those things are difficult. Cleaning their body and um, providing protective equipment such as maybe um, disposable pads or briefs. And please don't ever call them diapers. Please don't do that. That is so not cool. It's just not cool, right? So in, in the early stages, your environmental strategies like leaving the bathroom door open while you're waiting outside or something, might prompt them to use the toilet. You could also paint the wall behind the toilet a contrasting color like red to increase the visibility of the toilet. I've said over and over again that I like to have uh, memory units put in red toilet seats so the person can actually see where they're going. Um, you might want to install a floor surface like linoleum or vinyl uh, so that you can clean it easily, but also a contrasting color than, than what the toilet is so that they can see it. Another strategy to mark the pathway is with colored tape on the floor uh, between the bed and the chair or to the bathroom so that they can follow the trail to the bathroom and know where the bathroom is. I've done that many times with clients. Um, And you can give verbal prompts on on a regular basis, like before or after meals. Um, You can say, hey, you just had a big meal. Why don't you go in and and go to the bathroom now? Or follow me. You know, I I have something I want to show you. Oh, while we're in here, you you had like four glasses of uh, tea. Would you like to maybe uh, uh, use the restroom? And if they are dirty, if they have not cleaned well, and you have a shower in that room, that might be a good chance for you to say, let's take off your pants and let's take off your underwear. It looks like maybe you had a little accident here. Oh, wow, I've got this nice hot shower going. You want to step in? That's a nice way to get them cleaned up and being able to keep that cleanliness going as best you can. It's always a good idea to have a change of clothes, underwear, pants, and socks in a uh, alternative bathroom. So if you have an upstairs and a downstairs, I'd have one in both. I seriously would. So if you can have clothing that is easier to manage, like elastic waist pants or zippered trousers, um, those zippered zippers are not generally easy. So using like Velcro clothing um, snaps and... Um, things that you can just pull off that are just actual snaps, not buttons, not zippers, is so much easier to use and will help that person get their pants down in time to go to the bathroom. 
these are just important, important things. And if we can make any modifications um, that can help, like putting in a grab bar or something like that right next to the toilet or in the shower. I always think those are good things. In fact, I just redid my bathroom and put a grab bar in there for when I get old. I plan on being in my house for a while, and I want to make sure that I can get up and down if my back ever hurts or something should happen. So those kinds of things will help you a lot just to make those, those little modifications that will make the transferring from getting up and down off of a toilet or in and out of a shower or a bath so much easier. And if getting in and out of the bathroom becomes a challenge due to maybe your mobility, you just don't step into a bathtub very well anymore. You might fall over or slip in the tub or something like that. Um, you can get like these little commodes that um, they're sort of like, oh, God, I hate to say this, but they're sort of like the child uh, seats when you're teaching them to go to the bathroom. Um, I forgot what they call them. They're, they're toddler potty seats or something like that. Again, don't call them that when if you buy them, but they might help a little bit if you need to have one in a certain place in the room, like right next to the bed. If they get up in the middle of the night and they have to go to the bathroom and they can't make it, you might have one right next to the bed. Hey, it's better than them having an accident in the bed and then you can't get rid of the smells, right? And they come in a lot of different styles. Some have armrests. Some can be removed for sliding transfers um, that they can move with you to get you up and out of uh, a tub, for example, or off of a bench in a shower that are, make it so easy, right? But in the late stages, that person may not respond to the cues that you're giving them. And if they don't, incontinence care is probably going to have to be provided. And the disposable briefs, bring those with you everywhere you go in case they soil their clothing when you're out and about. Um, if they are in a bed, uh, you can use to. Uh, Protective devices to prevent them from soiling the bedding. You can use these um, like plastic bed covers. Again, uh, you might find them in a child section. They're really for kids that wet the bed. But you can buy those and they can be twin size or they can be, you know, full size. And you can put them under the sheet so that if they do have an accident in the middle of the night, you're able to uh, pull that up, just clean the the sheets themselves and this whatever is soiled on the bedding and just wash those. And you can get the uh, disposable absorbent pads that can be uh, placed on top of the fitted sheet. And um, that will give you that extra double protection. So late stage is really, really tough. And you may not have the uh, the ability to get them to the bathroom quickly. So using waterproof mattress pads and having those little commodes sitting right next to it and the, and the pads and everything right there, perfect, perfect. They will save you a ton of cleaning um, and, uh, you know, other, other gross issues like wanting to throw up. <laughs> it's never fun, right? It is never fun. Um, but... I, I will tell you, you know, it's not a it's not a pretty subject today. It's not easy. Bathing is not easy. Getting someone to shower is not easy. And and honestly, honestly, getting them into a shower or a bath is probably one of the most difficult care tasks for the caregiver. And it could be, seriously, people, a significant factor in considering the need for professional assistance, either in your home from an in-home caregiver or a, fa uh, a facility-based place, you know, because it's really difficult. And whatever method of, of bathing is selected by that person, you have to have all the necessary items there with you. You have to have the soap, the shampoo, the shower cap if they use one, a washcloth, multiple towels to keep them warm. 
a robe sitting nearby. I recommend you throw these all in the dryer and let them get really, really warm before you even bring the person into the bathroom. Let them carry them in. It makes them feel good. <clears throat> you might want to wear a water-resistant apron or even... <laughs> Even a bathing suit or something like that, shorts or a t-shirt that you don't care if it gets wet. Um, if you have to get into the shower with them or to help them and you just get wet anyway. Um, just make sure you have everything gathered. And for goodness sakes, one of the reasons you want to do that is because some people should not be left in the bath or shower alone while you get the missing supplies. You don't want to be leaving the room and leaving that person alone if they have balance issues. They could get in a wet shower and the tile could be slick. And the next thing you know, they're on the ground and having problems. They've fallen, they've broken something. So you want to make sure that you have everything in the room that you need before you get started. Now, some people might be more calm during the bath or shower. If you can have some soft music playing, I personally like, you know, maybe some jazz playing or some James Taylor or something like that. And if you can have scented bath smells, a bubble bath that smells good, maybe the Irish spring, you know, the uh, soap that, that smells so clean and fresh. Those are things for the sensory issues that could help you to be successful. And then I don't know anybody that likes being cold in the shower. So when I told you a minute ago that I want you to warm those towels in the dryer and so forth, put a warm towel down on the bench that they're sitting on so it's nice and warm. And then you can put a, a, a towel around their shoulders. You can put it over their legs and then just remove it when you're going to wash that particular limb and then put a fresh dry towel over it once you've washed it, that arm or that leg. It's important because if they are afraid of the water, if they are afraid of modesty, they don't want you to see them naked, if they're afraid of falling or anything like that, you want to make sure that you have enough items there to cover that person, to help that person stay warm, to help them stay um, covered so that they're not scared of you seeing them naked and so on and so forth, you're going to be so much better off, right? Now, they will definitely respond better if you have the room warm first and you have um, maybe the shower already on, the seat already warmed, and maybe a ceiling-mounted heat lamp could be a really good idea. Um, if Whatever you can do to get that person in there and have them more amiable to what you're trying to, to do, you're going to be so much better off. And for all those methods, that person, that individual should be encouraged to assist as much as possible from washing their body parts, um, you know, after verbal or visual cues and completing the action once that you as the caregiver have initiated that skill. And don't forget, if you need to mirror, mirror, right? But for people who prefer taking a bath, like Lord knows I am a bath person all the way, I just got a new shower and a new bathtub, and I honestly don't know which I like better. <laughs> I have uh, always pretty much been a bath person, but man, I am digging my shower now. But if it were me and, and I were preferring to take a bath, maybe before I go to bed, getting out in and out of that tub is dangerous sometimes. It can be slick. I am of sound mind. I have to hold on to the side and make sure I am flat-footed when I'm getting in and out. And if that person that you're working with is not flat-footed and is not cognizant of that, you might have to put some non-skid uh, strips in it or decals or a bath mat or something like that so that they don't fall. <clears throat> you want to try to mitigate that that uh, that danger as best you possibly can. So 
there are models of bathtubs which the you know where the side goes goes down like it's a walk-in tub they can be kind of expensive my friends they can um they have ones that where the walls roll down to let the person get in or they have a door um but you can't open the door until all the water is gone and therefore they might get cold so uh if that happens again that's why you need that big old um laundry basket of those warm towels but um those tubs would replace an existing tub that you might have to make it easier so that they're not falling and they fit the same space but just know the cost is around $13,000 like it's nuts it's nuts so bathing without a battle is one of the toughest toughest things it is really hard i get these questions all the time how do i get somebody in the shower when i ask them they say no so this is what i'm trying to help you with today this hygiene stuff is really really important so when a person's in a shower moving to the shower and they have to stand it is helpful that a a tall shower is easier than showering in a bathtub. It is. I think being able to stand up and walk into a shower is is so much easier. If it's connected to a bathtub and they have to step over that tub uh to get in, I think it's wise to put a chair, a bench in there so they can if they were to fall, they'd fall right down on that seat and you wouldn't have a problem. There's a lot of you that have those tubs that have the actual shower and they could have glass enclosures or they could have a shower curtain, but those can be really difficult. And just like with the bathtub, you might need a non-skid floor surface um to reduce the risk of slips and falls. You might need that mat. Uh put in some grab bars, get those installed. and put them around a couple of places in the shower so they can grab it if they need to. They are super important wherever that person would reach to support themselves getting in or out of that shower stall. So that's why you might need one, you might need two. It's hard to say. But but if you can get more than one, I think it could help. And those grab bars can be installed vertically or horizontally or on a diagonal. depending on the need for the person what is going to help them if they start to fall how would they grab it and not maybe twist their wrist or something like that would a diagonal work better would one straight across work better these are just things that can be your own personal preference but don't don't try to give somebody a shower that has ftd without having grab bars because they have problems with their balance and you're going to have issues okay now <clears throat> most people ftd alzheimer's lewy body whatever it is are less fearful seriously if they can face away from the shower stream face the rear wall of the stall not where the shower is coming down especially if that person's been in the military to a person that has cognitive impairment they may see that water coming down and have it looking like it's a bit of shrapnel like it's a uh, a bad rainstorm or something like that and they don't like the way it looks so being able to turn them around and um uh, maybe have a a grab bar right there so they could hold on to it so if they're if they get dizzy or something like that they won't fall and then having a handheld shower i cannot tell you enough how important that is a handheld shower uh piece where you can bring it down to that person's uh feet and their and their um legs and so on and so forth and adjust the water temperature before you ever direct that water towards them try to keep it a gentle stream or just a mist of water not not the full-fledged you know hard um 
shower that we might like, that stream that we might like, but a person with the uh, cognitive impairment will not like uh, a hard, full, robust stream of water. So you've got to keep that gentle. And then go with the less sensitive part of the body, um, the feet, and move the water around in up and down their leg and around their body to help them when they are getting wet to not be too cold. Use those towels I was telling you about, okay? And just think about these things. Bathing without a battle is so important. It is the single hardest thing that a caregiver has to do. So again today, just to recap, we have talked about the cueing skills that you will need for these ADLs. They're difficult. They're especially difficult when that person doesn't understand what is happening to them and they don't remember how to use that toothbrush. They don't know how to remember to put their clothes on. They don't want to shower ever, ever, ever. So these are ways that you can make it easier. Now, in uh, June, I am having my UCH class with uh, the University of Colorado Hospital uh, puts the class on, and I will spend two hours on a Zoom call demonstrating all these activities of daily living. And if you want to get in on that call, go on my website, summitresiliencetraining.com, and you can sign up right now. And it will be the first Wednesday in June, and I believe it's June 2nd. And you can join that class, get in ahead of time, and I will go through all these visually for you so that you can work best with your person, okay? It's tough out there, folks. That's why I have these strategy calls. It's why I like working with you and trying to help you through these difficult tasks. I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.